the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the program. Class is now in session. Long time listeners to this radio program know that I am not necessarily a major fan of government education. Oh, I think the concept of public education is is a great one. And I think providing uh, quality free education to uh, those in our nation is something that is very important to do for our children. And I wish that we could do more even for higher education is Many countries are able to provide higher education at little or no cost to their students. That said, government education, as it is today, is something that is quite troublesome. Now, I won't waste your time reading from one of my favorite documents that um, we got from an insider of the California Teachers Association, the uh, Guidelines for Academic Freedom in Public Schools, which came out several years ago, that uh, identifies a number of enemies of um Public education, including, um, let's see here, you'll love this enemies list. Uh, Some names will sound uh, uh, familiar to you. Uh, The Christian Coalition is on it. Focus on Family, Eagle Forum, Traditional Values Coalition, the Rutherford Institute, Concerned Women for America, um, on and on the list goes. That's who's on their hate list. And, of course, Friends of Public Education, uh, Planned Parenthood, uh, People for the American Way, National Coalition Against Censorship, Americans United for Separation of Church and State, uh, the American Civil Liberties Union, on and on the list goes. I've read some of this to you in the past, uh, and you know that it is an eye-opener to be sure. Well, my next guest, in fact, had a little bit of an education, so to speak, on what goes on education himself. Uh, he's the founder of the Education Action Group, regular contributor to townhall.com, owned by this fine radio station's parent company, Salem Communications. Uh, his new book is called Indoctrination, How Useful Idiots. I love the subtitle. How useful idiots are using our schools to subvert American exceptionalism. And Kyle Olson, great to have you on the program tonight. Thank you very much. There seems to be certainly a significant shift that has taken place in public education in the last uh, 30 or 40 years. I remember uh, Phyllis Schlafly's best-selling book, Child Abuse in the Classroom, that exposed what was going on in the uh, 1970s. And, And even just prior to that, we've made the shift from what traditionally had been teaching our children how to think to now today teaching them what to think that's right and and in fact what is happening is we have this social justice agenda in american classrooms where instead of kids thinking in uh, in terms of black and right uh, black and white uh, right and wrong uh, good and bad um, the social justice agenda is to have students develop this nuanced view where um, you know they're they're thinking in shades of gray, and so uh, this this moral relativism that is being pushed now, and so what I try to show parents and taxpayers um, in my book is all of these examples of lesson plans, textbooks, curriculum, videos. 
um, that are in public school classrooms today, not every single classroom, uh, but many of them around the country, um, these issues that are being pushed on kids at very young ages, um, parents need to know about it, uh, and they need to stand up and do something about it. Let's talk about what they need to know about all of this. I mean, to begin with, we certainly have heard the studies. We know of the reports. We've seen the kids come home with the report cards. We know that achievement at certain levels in government education today is so dismal. And ironically, consistently, the unions have been so opposed to any sort of performance standards to the point where you wonder, well, are, are, are they first and foremost there to educate our kids? Is this about jobs or is there something other agenda going on here? Well, unfortunately, I think it really does come down to jobs. I mean, that's why, you know, you think back um, during the stimulus and uh, and all the other bailouts that have been proposed over the last couple of years, and none of the none of the spending uh, and proposed new spending coming out of Washington D.C. had anything to do with student achievement, um, raising test scores making sure that every child can read when they graduate, which seems like such a radical concept. Um, but instead, it was about jobs and protecting jobs um, and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, on my most cynical days, I think that public education, public schools are little more than public works projects for the adults. Mm. And to some degrees, not only keeping themselves employed uh, with very little standards, and of course, once you get teacher tenure as part of the process and realize that the largest and most powerful union in America today, and I, and I love to pose this question to uh, the unindoctrinated that will say, well, it must be the Teamsters or maybe it's the, the Longshoremen's Union or uh, you know some, some similar union that they're familiar with until you tell them, no, it's the NEA, the National Educators Association. That is the most powerful union uh, literally on the planet, uh, all of which. And again, I'm not saying that that teachers don't have a right to collective bargaining and certain, you know, employment protections and things of this sort. But when it goes so far that that the teachers rights, even at at so-called educational uh, liberties um, or instructional freedoms, academic freedoms, uh, take precedence over actually giving the children an education that they can walk away with and do something with, I, I think it's an absolute crime. That's right. And, and going back to how you opened the segment where you mentioned the different organizations, that shows that the NEA, the National Education Association, is more about, uh, it's a political organization. It is not a professional organization saying, how do we make sure that we have a quality teacher in front of every uh, classroom in America? That's not what it's about. It has a political agenda. Unfortunately, it's a hard left political agenda. It's run by um, uh, left-wing activists um, that are elected and, and make the decisions on behalf of many of the, the, uh, the rank-and-file dues payers around the country. And so the, the question is, um, that is, that is what we are running into. And so the question is, what can we do about it? And I, there's, there's many things. I mean, one, teachers, uh, rank-and-file teachers um, who don't like this agenda who don't like paying the dues to see them go to organizations like NOW and People for the American Way um, and NARAL and all of these other different organizations, Planned Parenthood, they've got to stand up. Teachers have got to stand up and say, I refuse to do this. And it's not easy. I mean, there was a, there was a teacher that contacted our organization a couple days ago 
um, he tried to get out of the the Michigan Education Association, which, like California, um, is a closed, essentially a closed shop state. But even though he technically dropped out of the union, he still has to pay five hundred dollars a year in dues. And so, if that's to me, that's one of the biggest shams in public education, um, is that. If you want, if you want to be a teacher, and if you want to try and make a difference in kids' lives, you have to pay this organization whether you want them or not, and it's a huge sham. And of course, beyond that, uh, we get into the the instructional integrity or lack thereof, uh, which is going to be, I think, the eye opening focus of our conversation this afternoon. And I I want listeners to really pay close attention. There there's some things that we're going to share with you this afternoon that's going on most likely in your child's public school that I think you need to be aware of, and I think you'll think twice about whether or not you can actually afford to privately educate them or even homeschool them as superior options. Now, again, let me put in the disclaimer here before I get hate mail and calls of complaints. We're not suggesting that all teachers uh, have an agenda or that they don't care or that they're all about uh, indoctrinating kids. I know a lot of teachers that are fine, hardworking people that really care about kids, really want to equip kids with the tools and skills necessary to not just uh, think for themselves, but to ultimately succeed at life and excel in their chosen career or profession, uh, but make a difference in the world, too. And we applaud all of them. The criticism today is what goes on in the agenda at the higher levels within the union, the union leadership, and quite frankly, those that do promote, uh, what else can we call it, but a political and social activist agenda. Think, well, how widespread is this? <laughs> Where do you find out? We'll get to that aspect of our conversation with Kyle Olson. The book is called Indoctrination. How useful idiots are using our schools to subvert American exceptionalism. We'll get a time out here, then come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, class, uh, with uh, school in session here, we should ring, have a bell ring in there, Richard. I should have brought the bell in here. Um, just to give you an example of some of the agenda taking place that goes beyond just so-called academic freedom in the classroom for um, school teachers, but to even the manner in which the influence has taken place in the authorized textbooks, uh, I, I'm going to quote on one of them. This comes from page 11 of Kyle Olson's new book, Indoctrination, um, just talking about uh, manufacturing. And uh, this, uh, this particular passage, and I quote, uh, Rose was right. Some passages subtly put down the United States. Uh, for example, here's a quote. Companies in Japan make reliable televisions and radios. German factories make some of the world's best cars. Some companies in the United States are very good at making computers. Did you catch that? In America, only some companies excel. Now, it's amazing. I mean, to be sure, um, Kyle, we have seen some amazing advancements in technology by both Germans and by Japanese firms. A lot of that technology that had its roots and genesis right here in the United States, and yet it seems as if we just kind of we kind of take third position, third seat there to other foreign countries. Right, and that was... Um that, pas- that, uh, that passage that I quoted there was from a column by a Washington Post columnist um, who did this analysis of a book called Social Studies Alive, 
which is a, a third grade textbook um, geared towards very young kids, and it pushes this, this one-sided, biased um, agenda um, uh, uh, against, frankly, uh, an anti-American agenda. And so and it was interesting because this book, Social Studies Alive, has come under a lot of scrutiny because it is biased. Um, it, it only focuses on um, a, a left-wing perspective. And even this, this lip, self-described liberal um, uh, columnist also came to that conclusion. And it's a great example of a textbook like that, a biased textbook, getting into the classroom, um, and then the establishment, whether it's the teachers' union or a, a school board or the administrators, then defend it, and they say, "Oh, there's no bias in it," and, and you know, and this is this is the type of information that kids should be learning. You know, it's amazing because the the inaccuracies and in the agendizing of education goes from the subtle to outright demeaning and obvious, as you cite there in that particular passage. Uh, you know, no, no acknowledgement of the fact that the automobile was invented in the United States, the computer was invented. In the United States, uh, that uh, the, the, the uh, tubes, uh, the precursor of uh, transistors, invented in the United States. The uh, U.S. gets no credit for that. It just says that some companies, some companies do a good job. Not an excellent job, just a good job. So, you know, I, I guess to all of you that work for, uh, you know, some boring companies like IBM and Hewlett Packard and uh, uh, Texas Instruments and others, uh, just, uh, oh, well, too bad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that, that is what is such a shame. And, and what I find disturbing about this is that is that uh, uh, teachers will use this textbook, and then um, and, and what is most disturbing about this textbook in particular is that it leads question it leads students to a particular question where then they have to give essentially a predetermined answer. Um, and so it will it will say it, it will talk about um, child care as a right. And how there are some countries, uh, like Vietnam, for example, that gives child care as a public service. And shouldn't the United States have that as a public service, too? And so here you are as a third grader, and what do you honestly expect a third grader to say? No, we shouldn't do that. Um, and so what it's doing is it's, it's setting these kids up to give an answer um, that unfortunately... The, the activists in the classroom want to hear. And of course it leaves out a lot of the the important facts such as uh, somebody has to pay for that uh, child care and that in communist countries like Vietnam and I know because I've been there uh, yeah they're providing that uh, that child care for free. It's also a way in which they introduce and indoctrinate young children into the benefits so called of communism. Right. Isn't that convenient? And so and that's, that's the thing is so do you honestly expect a, a third grader to say well, how would that impact my my parents' taxes, or what you know? And and, and so you can't honestly uh, expect someone, a, a young child of that age, to be thinking in those terms. But it, but what I show in the book is that these types of issues, um, whether it's it's that type of issue or social justice, math, um, or whatever it may be, is being pushed on kids at younger and younger ages. So the stage is being set then for political and social activism in public schools as opposed to what heretofore had been education. That's exactly right. And because there, there's this mindset um, in, in public education uh, by, by many people within the establishment that they feel that it's their duty and their right uh, to use their classroom to push this personal political agenda. And they view um, their role as turning students into um, agents of change. 
And so we shouldn't just be equipping them for life and making sure that they um, that they have knowledge, so they can go to uh, go into higher education or a career or the military or do whatever they want to do. Uh, we need to turn them into agents of change. And to me, that is what is so disturbing about uh, about public schools today. And let me tell you how far some of that uh, that change factor takes place. I'm going to quote again. This is page 38 of Kyle's new book, again entitled Indoctrination. And I quote, this is quoting an article uh, of Howard Zim, and he writes, Granted, it's good to have historical figures we can admire and emulate, but why hold up as models the 55 rich white men who drafted the Constitution as a way of establishing a government that would protect the interests of their class? Slaveholders, merchants, bondholders, and land speculators. Close quote. So we have now reduced the founding fathers of the most successful and freest nation on earth. One of the few nations that has a problem with people illegally getting into the country as opposed to trying to escape. Are you listening? North Korea, Vietnam, etc., etc. And and we've we've suddenly now done an absolute 180. Yeah, granted, there were things about America in the 1700s that we probably wouldn't be very prideful of today. But the fundamentals of why and how this nation was founded and upon what basis is something that is held up as a pride point in, in nations all across the world, apparently except our own. That's right, and, and it's such a shame because Howard Zinn, um, who, who that quote is from, it is held up um, on, in, in leftist circles um, in high esteem of, uh, because he is this historian who has, you know, this, uh, has recast American history, and this is what he is producing. And unfortunately, he actually he has produced textbooks, and his textbooks are in a U.S. history class classes in American high schools today. And so this is the type of, of um, quote-unquote history that high school students are, are being fed. And so it's no wonder that we're seeing our, our personal liberties, um, our self-governance, um, our, our uh, free markets being eroded um, because you know people aren't uh, appreciating them, they're not seeing the value in them, and they're thinking that you know, America is to blame. Uh, free markets are to blame. And so we have got to change those and, and fundamentally transform America. Well, I've had uh, teachers in the past and concerned parents even send me copies of passages from history books that have characterized uh, Mao, for example, Mao Zedong, as the great liberator of China. Yeah, uh, much like I suppose uh, Stalin liberated the Russians, uh, Kim Jong Il liberated the North Koreans, and Hitler liberated the Germans. We'll come back to more of this startling agenda of what's going on in some circles of public education, not about educating children anymore, but rather indoctrinating them as miniature agents of change for their agenda. Our conversation tonight is with Kyle Olson. The book is called Indoctrination, How Useful Idiots Are Using Our Schools to Subvert American Exceptionalism. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. With author Kyle Olson, how deep and widespread is this agenda? Well, let me give you another example from his new book, Indoctrination, a teaching lesson plan calendar uh, that um, helps teachers highlight for children some of the important dates in history that they need to be mindful of. such as August the 5th, which represents the 30th anniversary of Ronald Reagan breaking the 
Air Traffic Controllers Union. Or uh, August 10th, the 50th anniversary of U.S. spraying toxic herbicides in Vietnam. Um, February the 17th, notable for being the birthday of Black Panther Party founder Huey Newton. Uh, let's not forget November the 20th, Transgender Day of Remembrance. Um, how about November the 26th, Buy Nothing Day. Uh, April the 29th, the 20th anniversary of the start of the Los Angeles Uprising. <laughs> People rioted not for Rodney King, they rioted to steal, and that's the uprising. Of course, May 1st is International Workers' Day, and least let us not forget May 20th, which uh, marks the anniversary of Cuba's independence from U.S. occupation. Yeah, nothing in there about uh, uh, the 4th of July, 1776. Uh, dare we talk about such things as the American moon landing, Pearl Harbor, uh, any of those important events. No, it's all got to have some sort of a agenda behind it, Kyle. I'm sure they just ran out of space. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. And, uh, so many important I, days to remember. Yeah, nothing about Constitution Day uh, or anything like that. And I think, again, it's a great example of um, putting a resource in front of teachers and then raising those questions because then there are other uh, another aspect to that uh, social justice uh, planning guide is uh, a question for each day. And so they're just incredible um, questions about you know, just dealing with these social justice issues and all of that sort of thing. And so what I fear happening, what I fear is happening is that um, our classrooms are turning into these social justice laboratories where um, activist teachers are turning our students into uh, fellow activists um, to change America. Well, and the other interesting thing that, that dawned on me, I read one passage in, in your book later on uh, when you talk about the Great Depression and you quote from another wonderful piece of revisionist history here, uh, the old adage, those who forget history are condemned to uh, repeat it. Uh, as the curriculum of many of these history books has a very strong pro-union driven uh, re re uh, revisionism to it. Uh, let me just, this one quote here, you know, here we are in the middle of the greatest recession that America America has seen, um, uh, perhaps overshadowed only by the likes of the Great Depression of the late 1920s. Um, and if you try to understand what caused the Great Depression and the, the crash of October 29, uh, here's where one history book squarely puts the responsibility. And I quote, Soon, Ford Automobile produced more cars than people could buy. Other business owners made the same mistake and workers were fired. So many people lost jobs that the 1930s were called the Great Depression, close quote. So it wasn't the stock market crash that pulled the U.S. economy to its knees, that prevented people from having access to the credit and cash they needed to buy these things, that forced companies to fire workers. It was the greed of the companies themselves that produced more goods than where they were capable of selling. Talk about revisionist history. That's right. Isn't that, it, it's incredible. And uh, there's another example uh, talking about unions where the California Federation of Teachers has produced many lesson plans um, that teachers are using today. And one of those was how to start your own uh, small business where they created the, the Yummy Pizza Company, which, you know, on the face of it, you go, well, that sounds interesting. And I, come, I personally, I come from a small business family. 
Um, so I know the dedication and the hard work that goes into uh, especially starting a small business but maintaining one. Um, but what I quickly found as I read this lesson plan was that 40% of the lesson plan dealt with starting the union for the employees. And so suddenly it was obvious what this lesson plan was about was actually was, was the union component. And, uh, and so the other interesting thing that I find is that so what happens is school districts and states have requirements. So um, students need to get, uh, you know, X amount of math and X amount of um, English and art and that sort of thing. And so what, uh, what the activists will do is they insert these different types of things to meet the requirements. So in other words, in this Yummy Pizza Company example, um, the, the art component was creating membership cards and designing a logo for the union. Um, and so it's, they are just, they're absolutely relentless in, cre- in, in inserting this personal political agenda um, into curriculum. And, you know, again, I, I have no problem if teachers wish to organize and unionize and are looking for, you know, workplace standards and higher wages and things of this sort. That's fine. But don't bring that in as, as an integral part of your job and recruit your students um, in, in the effort to try and then, you know, uh, be, uh, be minions for change. And, you know, maybe some case you can get the, you know, bunch of six-year-olds to go out and lobby for higher pay. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, well and speaking of that, there's an example in the book where um, a, a third grade uh, teacher from Milwaukee Public Schools in Wisconsin um, actually had her students write letters um, to the school board complaining about the budget cuts. And again, these are third graders, so these are what, eight-year-olds, maybe nine-year-olds. Mm-hmm. They can hardly, uh, they don't even know about their family budget, let alone a, a multi-million, if not billion-dollar um, enterprise that is a, a public school district. And so she had her students write letters complaining about the budget cuts. And it's, it, what, what we see around the country is example after example of, um, of students being indoctrinated, um, students being used as pawns, unfortunately, to do the dirty work of the union. Well, I recall even talking to a young man that was a recent high school graduate, and we got on the topic of World War II, and um, I made some comment about Pearl Harbor, and the date December 7th did not resonate in his mind at all. Um, and after some protracted discussions, uh, he revealed to me that this best as he could recall, yeah, he kind of remembered a couple of details about it, but that they probably spent not much more than a half hour talking about Pearl Harbor and World War II and the American involvement in same, both in the uh, the Pacific Theater helping to uh, uh, to fight back the spread of uh, the Japanese uh, onslaught as much as, as well as what we did in in Europe against the Germans, and uh, and yet though had great recollection of of uh, great detail, uh, spending what he characterized to be about a half a week talking about the results of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Of course, the events that precipitated all of that, uh, he knew nothing about. So, you know, uh, which came first, the chicken or the egg? In this case, neither, I guess. That's right. And, and, and that is what is, is shameful, is we're losing our history. And our students are not coming out of out of school uh, with just very basic knowledge about what America has done for the world and what free markets have done and what capitalism has done. And instead, uh, we are to blame. And, and, and the example of the atomic bombs, 
you know, we are to blame um, for, for, you know, the horrific events that took place um, because, um, you know, we're racist or we have this imperialist uh, agenda or, or whatever the case may be. And so uh, kids are coming out of, and, and to me this is the irony, is these are government schools. I mean, you would think government schools would be, if anything, would be indoctrinating students to be a pro-America but that is not what is happening. I mean, they're coming out of government schools, believing that America is to blame, uh, believing that free markets um, and uh, and uh, capitalism are to blame for third world poverty because we go and we exploit uh, countries and we exploit people and we we uh, rape and pillage for resources in all of this. I mean, it's 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 an absolute shame, um, but it is going on in classrooms around the country. And so, again, I say, um, and my question for parents is: Do you know uh, what your students are, what your kids are learning? And if you don't, you need to get educated toward that end, because after all, folks, we are paying for it to the tune of over fifty-five billion dollars a year in the great state of California alone. We've just touched the surface of of a few of the excerpts of Kyle's new book, and it's a page turner, it's an eye opener, and if you've got kids that are attending government schools or grandkids, uh, get educated, would you? And maybe you're going to think twice about uh, what you need to do. And I know it's a tremendous sacrifice to a private school or homeschool a child, uh, but maybe uh, once you read the book, you'll find out it's high time you do so. Kyle Olson, thanks so much for being with us. The new book, by the way, published by Arthur House, and uh, you can get copies through Amazon.com or also information through Kyle's website at Kyle K Y L E Olson. O-L-S-O-N dot O-R-G. Again, the book Indoctrination, How Useful Idiots Are Exposing Our Schools to Subvert American Exceptionalism. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, when you think of a lot of the challenges that our nation has been facing for the last couple of three years, uh, you know, unemployment situations, uh, loss of homes because of a foreclosure, uh, you know, it's easy to get discouraged, certainly to kind of live in that that place that's sort of permanent disappointment. And yet out of all of that, particularly for Christians, how do we we be uh, sort of adequately rise up and, and, and above all of that so we can go on with life and, and enjoy victory in our relationship with Christ. Well, that topic uh, centers around the title of a new book written by my next guest. Uh, you'll recognize her as having been the uh, Emmy Award winning co-host of Aspiring Women on uh, KTLN here in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's written a number of best-selling books. In fact, over 30 to her credit, including her latest, How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope. And Michelle McKinney-Hammond. Michelle, great to have you on the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Boy, this is uh, this is a timely topic. So many people are just dealing with that kind of overall biting sense of disappointment of what's going on. They've you know life can be tough enough, and then when you add to it the economy and so on and so forth, yes. I think a lot of people kind of get stuck in that place and they don't know how to get out. Yes, yes, because they begin to see cycles in their lives, and it, it leads to the, to the deception that this is all life has to offer and. Well, I should just settle in and, and not expect more than where I am. And then we begin to, to make choices that sink us even lower in, into that place, you know? 
And then I wonder, as that process is kind of taking place, um, if there needs to be a change in our thinking. You know, I think there are some Christians who who move into that position of defeat and disappointment, and they kind of, you know, kind of conclude that it's here, it's here to stay. So I have to learn to live with disappointment, right? As opposed to learning from disappointment and then moving on back into victory, right? Because every disappointment, you know, a friend of mine um, all describes disappointment as a disappointment uh, in the sense that we make appointments in life for ourselves, decisions of, of what should be or how things should go. And when the other people don't meet us there, the other parties involved don't meet us there, we feel dissed, we feel um, cast off. Um, and it just really invites a spirit of rejection that lowers our self-esteem and, and literally paralyzes us um, so that we do get stuck, as you said. And a lot of it, I think, then comes down to misguided expectations. I mean, let's think for a moment about people. How often do we live in that position of disappointment because our son, our daughter, our husband, our wife, uh, our parents uh, did something or behaved in a fashion that disappointed us? And now all of a sudden we're, we're kind of stuck in that defeat position. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, and, and you know, life is, is a greater thing than that. And so we really cannot base uh, how the conclusions that we make on life based on what people did or didn't do. It has to be come from a, a deeper place. That's why I use the, the woman at the well um, as an example um, in this book, How to Get Past Disappointment, because she had been through a cycle of disappointments that led her to the conclusion that that was all life had to offer for her. And, and the danger in that is that when we get so jaded by our disappointments, we can't recognize the blessing when it does present itself. And, you know, what's amazing about that story is that um, even as as Jesus meets with her, Mm -hmm. he knows exactly what's going on. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we, I think, sometimes think that we can kind of hide that. We try to mask those feelings mm-hmm. instead of coming to the terms with them or instead of dealing with the root cause of what is behind the disappointment and sometimes the role that we play because maybe we've gotten our eyes focused more on the person or the situation instead of keeping our eyes focused on Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe as we're, you know, kind of trying to keep up fronts, you know, keep up appearances, and yet Jesus fully knows what's going on, doesn't he? He does, you know, and, and, and what I think is important for for listeners to know is that despite your bad choices, um, your seeming failures, or even uh, the contributions you think you've made to your life being the way you are, Jesus makes an appointment with all of us. I mean, Jesus went to that well to meet that woman on purpose. It was a purposeful decision to be there that day when she got there. Um, And I think that he... Um, is just as purposeful with meeting us in those places of disappointment. He has an appointment to meet us there, um, to show us another way, to show us another wellspring, another area of fulfillment um, that will bring about uh, what we've been thirsting for. I don't think that she even realized how deep her disappointment was until he started pushing her buttons and uh, getting her to see that there was an option. You know, so many people that I talk to who are disappointed feel they don't have any other option. Um, I was just talking to um, a friend of mine the other day on the phone and uh, another failed relationship. And she said, well, here I am alone again. 
um, and I don't think I'll ever have anyone. I said, well, maybe you don't have anyone today, but don't feel that because that person rejected you that you have no options. You have options. And as a matter of fact, uh, we exercise those options every day. I mean, I always tell single people, you're alone because you want to be alone. Because there are people that you de- decided that you did not want to have in your life. Mm. You know, so don't don't say that, you know, oh, you, you, you are the helpless person in this. No, you've had options that you chose not to exercise. So you are single by choice. How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope. The title of her new book, newly published again by Harvest House and available through Amazon.com, as well as through Bay Area Christian bookstores and bookstores overall. Uh, Michelle, as we talk about sort of realigning our our expectations, talk to me about the process of moving from from fear to hope in, in the backdrop of dealing with circumstances, sometimes of our own creation, sometimes beyond our control, but nevertheless... How do we go about making that transition from fear to hope? Well, it really is taking taking our eyes off of what we consider the source to seeing the root of the issue because the disappointments in our lives are really the fruit that emanate from a root. And I, I think that a lot of times we live on the surface and, and we only deal with what we see versus what we don't see. Uh, when we look at the conversation that took place between Jesus and the woman at the well, we find out that the issue was deeper than her desire to be loved by these men. It really was a great need for God. Almost a crying out in a sense. Uh, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, you know, she was trying to fill a void uh, with the, to the best of her ability with something that was natural, not knowing that what she needed was supernatural. Um, and, and, and it's very interesting because there's a very subtle uh, conversation that happens uh, when she tells Jesus, you know, this water that you're talking about, I want it because I'm tired of being thirsty and I don't want to have to come back here again. And I think that a lot of us are that way. We're tired of longing and we don't want to keep revisiting the same issue over and over again in our lives. And he says, I'll give it to you, um, you know, go and get your husband and now we get down to, to the nitty-gritty of confessing where we really are. She says, I don't have a husband. Well, I mean, she probably had been saying she had a husband. She was living with a man, according to the scripture. And he says, you've told the truth. And he congratulates her on it. He says, you've done well to tell the truth. So um, we know that the word says that the truth is what makes us free. It gives us the tools we need to, to get beyond where we are. And uh, so he congratulates her. He's very gracious with her and says it's true that you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the one you're with now is not yours. So what he was bringing up was, here's this cycle that you've had in your life. And, and you, you've had five, five, six men, and you're still thirsty. You know, what have we continued to do and still felt the same longing, the same disappointment, even though we thought we were applying solutions to our to our longings and desires? And I think that the light went on in her head because even though she perceived him to be a prophet, the question that she asked him was not about the men. It wasn't about, will those relationships work out? It was, how could she get to God? Because obviously the men had never been enough. And I say that what God is saying to all of us in the middle of our disappointments is, 
Look to me so that I can show you the source of fulfillment. Look to me so I can give you the wisdom to find a better way to exercise different options in your life that bring about the victory that you desire. And, you know, you put it so well, because so often this ends, ends up being a product of having put our trust, our faith, our hope and desire on something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, most definitely. And, and he must be. You know, he says, I am the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. And then he says something even more spectacular. He says, at my right hand are pleasures evermore. I am your exceeding and great reward. And the reward is the pleasure of being in my company. Because when I come into your life, I bring everything that you've been looking for. And all of those solutions are found in me. He, he's the one who gives us the wisdom uh, to, to gain the things that he knows we want. He's not opposed to us having what we want. But he wants to add what we need to the ball game too. Yeah. And sometimes we don't recognize that. I don't think that uh, that woman didn't even know why. We don't know, you know, the, the inside scoop on all those relationships. He said she had had five husbands. So if he said five husbands and then differentiated that the one she was with was not hers, that means she had five legitimate husbands. What happened to them? Did they divorce her? Did they abuse her? Did they leave her? Did they die? We do not know. But out of it came a vow, obviously, that she was not going to put herself in the position to be disappointed again, and she made a bad choice. She made a choice that she thought would put her in the position of power by simply living with someone so that she could not be abandoned again. And we do that. We, we prop ourselves up and we begin to make compromises that we think are guarding our hearts, but it really puts us in the position for greater pain. We appreciate so much, uh, Michelle, the insights. I know a lot of this comes from your own life experience, and, and I'll let readers get a copy of the book to uh, to get more details on that. Meanwhile, again, um, How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope, published by Harvest House and available through Amazon.com and certainly at uh, Bay Area bookstores. Also information on the web at MichelleHammond.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, MichelleHammond.com. Michelle, thanks again so much for your time. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.